My name is Jake Foster, and I'm a reporter at Clarksville Now, where each week our team of experienced journalists write about the latest happenings in and around Clarksville. We cover it all from the latest restaurant openings to breaking news about our government, schools, and community leaders. Whether you're new to Clarksville or have lived here for the past 50 plus years, I'm sure something has piqued your interest this week. Here are the top stories trending right now on ClarksvilleNow.com. This is your week, your news, a Clarksville Now original podcast. And here are your top stories for the week of March 5th, brand new month. I'm Jake Foster alongside uh, Chris Smith, editor-in-chief of Clarksville Now. Hey, Chris. And uh, we welcome back Lee Irwin. Hello there. Our uh, senior reporter here at Clarksville Now. And we also welcome back Tiffany Hill. Half of the Q108 morning crew. Yes. Uh, Great to have you guys back. Looking forward to uh, discussing all of these things. And really, we have a lot to cover this week. So we'll go ahead and get right into it. Uh, The first thing that I want to talk about, and I think, Maybe everyone in this room was affected by this, and everybody listening was probably affected by this too. And that was the uh, windstorm, the wind apocalypse that we had really oh, last yes. week. Mm-hmm. Chris, you did a lot of coverage with this, you know, updating things. There was there was how many people without power? Like uh, at one point, it was thirty one thousand CDE customers. To put that in perspective, CDE only has about seventy five thousand customers. Um, I think maybe 72,000. So effectively half of the CDE customers lost power during the storm. Um, it's, it's hard to overestimate how bad the storm was when it comes to electrical infrastructure. I mean, pretty much everybody was wiped out. Yeah. You know, I mean, did, did everybody here lose power? Yeah. For yes. a few days. Yes. Yeah. All weekend. What yeah. did you do? <laughs> all weekend without power. I actually spent uh, one of the nights here at the radio station where it was warm and oh. they had electricity, so I stayed here. So now, did you have a blow-up bed, Lee, or did you just sleep on a chair? Or? I slept on the couch in the in the back room there, the back ah. office. So yes, I've done that before during storms. You know, as far as tornado watches, tornado warnings. But uh, no, this time it was just it was cold at home. So I said, "We're coming here was a warm." Yeah. Did, did you eat the store of potted meat and um, uh, non-perishable <laughs> foods? <laughs> we, we have some food here, but no. But of course, I lost all my food just about. Oh you know, yeah. Especially the frozen stuff. Yeah. You know, it's gone. My neighbor was telling me uh, the, over the weekend that they had just stocked their freezer. With lots of food, oh, you no. know, a whole bunch of stuff, and it's it's all gone now. So, yeah, that's that was the difficult part is that everybody lost all of their food in the fridge because we were without power for just too long. Nothing could really be saved at that point, and you don't realize how much you rely on electricity oh, yeah. for the tiniest little things until it's gone. Almost everything that you turn to do in the house, you can't do. <laughs> Whether mm-hmm. it's to turn on a light going into the restroom. Or maybe you have one of those recliners where you sit down on your couch and you turn on the button and you recline. You realize, oh, no, I'm sitting up straight for the next few days <laughs> and, and or needing a, a, a something to read by. You couldn't even really read if you didn't have the batteries or the candles. And how many times did you flip on a switch when you knew you didn't? Yes. Think, you so know, many times. Automatically. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I guess but, I was pretty lucky because I think we lost power for maybe an hour because I'm out in Kentucky. So. Yeah. Oh, Wow. Um, we were very, very fortunate we were at. I think we were actually one of the only streets that had power for quite some yeah. time. Uh, but yeah, there was a lot of people without power. Um, I don't know what I would do without power for two days, being 23 years old and raised in technology. Be like <laughs> Amish or something. You know well, what? I was doing, uh, my thing is I'm diabetic. I have insulin and it oh, has yeah. to be refrigerated. So I was driving to town getting a bag of ice and keeping it in a little cooler, you know, just to take care of that. 
but uh, couldn't get a lot of food in there. So it yeah, was, I didn't even think about that. Wow. It was really nice to see driving around when almost all of the traffic lights were out, everybody being very patient for the mm-hmm. most part and right. adhere, most part. adhering to that four-way stop sign rule. And, mm-hmm. and I did mm-hmm. see that quite a bit. And that was really refreshing yes. to see. <laughs> you know, and people like to complain about traffic and drivers. Oh, you know, this happened to me, but people tend to focus on the negative too, I think. And yeah, you're right. I mean, at most of those intersections, you go to them, everybody's waving each other in. No, 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 you go ahead. No, 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 you go. I mean, it it was people in Clarksville were really being supportive and helpful and patient with each other. You you only hear the loud voices, but there were a ton of people out there who were applauding the CDE line workers, bringing them food. I mean, people are very appreciative of CDE. Inevitably, you're going to have some people who are going to be upset and complaining. And and also CEMC, you know, we focus on CDE because that's where the bulk of the outages were. Um, CEMC, which serves the clients out in the county, they actually, um, I think they moved from the west to the east. So they got everybody in Stewart County turned on and then everybody in Montgomery County turned on and then they kept going. Um, and so we were, we were, um, had all the county people pretty well with back with power pretty quickly. Yeah. And some people might remember October 2019, this very same thing happened before. We didn't have a tornado, but we had those windy conditions. And Chris, you probably remember that. Yeah. And, you know, interesting, the um, everybody remembers that as being a really, really, really bad um, power yeah. outage, but that's because it was uh, below freezing outside. Right. This one's a little bit easier to deal with. But, you know, everybody thinks of that one as being the worst. Actually, this one was was worse. We had, um, I think, 60-some crews had to come in to help. Right. During the one, um, was it back in October, is that right? Yeah, October 2019, yes. Um, the, uh, I think it was only like uh, 25 crews had to come in to help. So, yeah, this one yeah, that, that's was more Yeah, that's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there was power power lines snapped, I mean, crushed. It was, it was crazy. Luckily, the only thing we lost out of a yard was a grill cover. So I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, will you rebuild? <laughs> I think I will. I think I was, I was much more fortunate than most. Uh, I'm just blessed. glad that there were no serious injuries. Mm-hmm. You yes, know, there a lot of damage. And, you know, I think just a few minor injuries with this, but uh, nothing serious and no life was lost. Yeah. That's right. the main thing. An inconvenience to most, but it, that, right. that was really the extent of it here. We were so lucky. Yeah, yeah. And Mayor Golden pointed that out a few days ago in a release, you know, saying that there was no you know, serious injuries. And I think that's a really cool thing to highlight considering how bad these conditions were and really how much damage they did too. Because, you know, it's not only CDE that has to fix all of their stuff. It's all these people that have their own, you know, the rooftops, their, their own electrical right. panels, everything. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And, and we had wind gusts of 79 miles per hour in Clarksville. Wow. Now that was just what was recorded at um, Outlaw Field. So, there may have been wind gusts higher than that, but that was what we had recorded in, in one instance at Ella Field. So those winds of almost 80 miles an hour were going through here. And I, I should have looked it up for context, but isn't that above tornado strength? Um, so That's getting a, close to about a Category 1 hurricane, I believe. Yeah, anyway. I think like 75 miles per hour is like hurricanes. So. Yeah, yeah. Jake, Jake's going to look that up while we're jibber-jabbering. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, a straight-line wind of 79 miles per hour, that is just, you know, people say, oh, well, did a hurricane go through? Well... No, but it might as well. But have. it's very close. I think yeah. that's very close to a category one because there's that difference between a tropical storm and then mm-hmm. category one hurricane, I believe. 
Yeah, according to USA Today, uh, Category 1 hurricane is usually between 74 and 95 miles per hour. Okay, so we were really close to hurricane yeah. status there. So, which, and, we, and we kind of were. It was, what, 79? 79. So we so were yeah, in the we low were, end of hurricane status. Yeah, it was effectively a Category 1 hurricane at Clarksville. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Well, luckily, we all got through it. Uh, power's back on for most. I'm sure there's probably a handful of people out there. I'm still waiting to get power turned on. They might have some, own is- or some of their own issues with the electrical panels. Uh, but great work to all those crews, and um, thank God nobody was hurt. Seriously hurt or injured. Yeah, yeah. Uh, our next story, double murder. Campbell gets two consecutive life sentences for killing elderly parents. And man, there was a lot to unpack in this story. Um, William Roger Campbell, 66, convicted of the 2010 murder of his parents, was given two life sentences to be served one after the other in court on Wednesday. His adopted parents, Bill and Ina Campbell, were 82 and 81 years old when Campbell shot them execution-style in their beds in the early morning of January 8th, 2010. Now, I wasn't here in 2010, so maybe, Chris, you can speak a little bit to this. This case has been going on a while. Yeah, yeah, quite a while. And initially, they didn't have enough evidence to um, to really press charges against him. But um, this was a cold case, and a detective basically said, hey, wait a minute, there may be something else to look into here, started going through the evidence and began re-interviewing um, people who were connected to the case um, and if I recall correctly, um, he re-interviewed Campbell's ex-wife, who said that Campbell had told her something that, that sort of clued them in, wait a minute, this doesn't line up, this doesn't make wow. sense. The timeline of when he said he visited his parents didn't match when his parents um, were actually killed. And um, what they, one of the main fact, uh, sort of details that came, uh, that led them to charge him was he had claimed that he was there that morning um, and they were still alive. But that morning, there were some key things that the Campbells did not do that they normally did do. Ina Campbell kept a really detailed medical journal of her um, medications. Every morning, without fail, she recorded when she took her medications. Well, that day, she didn't take her medications. Um, she didn't record her medications. And Bill Campbell um, was heavily addicted to the newspaper. And every morning, he'd go out, he'd get his newspaper, he'd sit on the porch and read it. And he never got his newspaper that morning. There were you know, uh, the newspaper was still in the box, which indicates that they were killed that night or that morning before they woke up. Well, Bill Campbell, the son, said said that he was with them that morning. So that timeline doesn't match up as far as the time of death. How interesting um, that you know, the detective would notice some things and say, no, let's take another look mm-hmm. at this. Yeah, yeah. And um, and the jury said you know, they found there was enough and um, they convicted him and um, there were some interesting photos that um, Jordan took uh, during the the trial that kind of showed the shock on Bill Campbell's face when he was yeah. uh, convicted. He did not expect it to go against him. Yeah, and he was actually already a convicted felon. He was convicted in 1989 for embezzlement. Uh, he violated his probation in 1990 by obtaining money by a fraudulent check. So he did have a little bit of a history. And another interesting fact is that he employed a firearm that he used to shoot both victims. And the firearm was a 25 caliber handgun. Which is not a caliber that you see in a lot of murders. This is a very, um, very light caliber, and normally it's associated with um, cheaper firearms. Usually they're between $130, $200, um, which is probably why he had one. Of course, he was a convicted felon, so legally he couldn't have one, so he obtained that somehow. Um, but I thought that was really interesting because you don't see a lot of cases where a twenty five caliber handgun is used. Mm-hmm. So that was another interesting uh, fact to note there. Um, but yeah, that was... That was a crazy case, and I mean, I mean, after I was going to say ten years, but actually more like thirteen years, it's mm-hmm. it's really been really been close. So two life sentences. 
Yeah, it was heart wrenching to see um, the son speak mm-hmm. as well about the loss angry, of his grandparents. Very angry. Yes. The son, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, that was um, that was a lot. And uh, hats off to Jordan Renfro who uh, wrote the story. She was very thorough and um, just kind of picked up the story after really 13 years. You know, she's been here for a couple months, so um, she did a great job with that. Yep, absolutely. And then uh, moving on to our next story, 13-year-old boy killed in shooting in North Clarksville. And this is something that happened, I, I think it was last Friday, actually, which is horrendous because this was literally in the middle of the windstorm of that the we storm. just talked about. Yeah. So there was, and, and there was a lot of, shall we call it, hard news that came out of that weekend, um, which is really unfortunate. So the person shot Friday night at Oakmont Drive has died, according to police. That was an update posted at 6.50 a.m. on Saturday. On Friday, police responded to residents on Oakmont Drive for a shooting that had already happened. When they arrived, they found a 13-year-old boy with a gunshot wound to his chest. He was transported to Blanchfield Army Hospital and was pronounced dead at the or dead at the hospital. Detectives with the Special Operations Homicide Unit and Crime Scene Unit responded to the scene, and it's still an ongoing investigation. So they they haven't found the person that that did this. Um, but they don't believe this was a random act because they believe the uh, the boy's family and then the other person involved in the shooting knew each other, correct? Mm. Yeah. So this is one of those things where I think the police kind of rely on media in some respects because, you know, we're getting those images out there to the public. We're helping them th- them find this person that did this horrible thing. And, you know, like with the, the case we just talked about, sometimes that's what it takes is is going to the media and using the media as an ally to to help find these people or, or these vehicles and, and things to help catch these guys. So a lot of hard news came out of last Friday. And then, yeah. um, oh, sorry, go ahead, Chris. Oh, no, and I was saying one of the other things um, that happened uh, over the weekend was an apartment building um, caught fire when, when, oh, good uh, point. Yeah. when the um, uh, power was turned back on because the, the wires weren't attached to it. So there was a four-unit apartment complex um, that people lost their their homes um, from a, from a fire. That, you know, you, you would think that once power's back on, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. But if there's damage to that, um, uh, I can't recall what it's called the the device basically where the wires come in, you could end up you know having a, a, a fire start out. Like the fuse box. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a windbreak, windbreak. Oh, okay, yeah. But um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'll go ahead and move on to our next story, reducing recidivism. Commission looks to offer some offenders free rides to New Day Reporting Center. This was something that I covered on Monday at the county commission meeting, um, which was a really interesting meeting, by the way, because uh, the courthouse had been affected by all of those storms. So usually all the commissioners, you know, they're, they're sitting out there at their respective podiums, each have their own microphone, which is turned on when they talk. And then the mayor and uh, the people up front, they have they have their own microphones. Well, they only had one microphone working. Uh, hmm. Monday, so they it was a wireless mic that they had to take around and pass around to everybody. So what should have been probably a thirty minute meeting turned into over an hour meeting, just because they just had to walk. They had to, I think half the meeting was just them walking the mic to each other. Probably Price is Right style. Yes, yeah. exactly. That's exactly yeah. what it was like. So uh, it was very interesting and um, a great job to the tech team for um, uh, running that mic around. I think uh, they got all their steps in, as um, Wes Golden noted. <laughs> On Monday, uh, but the Montgomery Commission will soon vote on a resolution that would provide free rides for criminal offenders who do not have transportation to the New Day Reporting Center, which began operations on Monday. The request from the Community Corrections Program, a grant-funded entity, is an attempt to reduce recidivism in Montgomery County. The measure would amend the Community Corrections budget to add sixty-five thousand dollars from the undesignated fund balance of the county's general fund 
for the purchase of a 15-passenger van, which will be used for this program. And um, the director of the Community Corrections Program is asking for this because the program itself is actually grant-funded. So no tax dollars are actually used for this program normally. They're just asking the county to help purchase this van. Are you guys familiar with the Community Corrections Program? No, I I was actually going to ask about this new day reporting center, what exactly that is. Yeah, so it's really interesting because I wasn't familiar with it until covering this. And the Community Corrections Program has actually been around Montgomery County since 1985. And it basically allows for the sentencing of eligible felony offenders to a community-based alternative to incarceration. Incarceration. So they basically serve their sentence in society. Okay. Um, and before, they were just kind of being supervised. There wasn't really a location to do this, if I'm correct. And Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, because you've been here a lot longer than I have. But um, now they're going to this day reporting center, which is a completely brand new thing. Um, several other places have done it. Uh, the state recognized it in 2016 as, as a way to basically, instead of sending these felons to jail, you can just send them to these day reporting centers for four hours a day, four days a week, which in Montgomery County's case, it's Monday through Thursday. So that's what the new day reporting center is. And so they go in and what they're doing for these four hours is they're taking classes um, and they and they could be anything. They could be, um, you know, behavioral cognitive classes or um, job searching type classes. Um, there's all kinds of stuff. And they also have therapy and stuff available as too. And then they also, um, I think they do some like third party type classes where they work with other organizations to bring people in. So the new day reporting center is actually a really interesting idea, but the argument was spending tax dollars for this grant funded program. But it's really interesting because it's for people basically who live out in the county that have been convicted that don't have a ride. They just simply don't have a ride. They don't have a support system. Um, they can't get a ride to this New Day reporting center. Whereas people, you know, in Clarksville, they can access, you know, public transportation. Some of them probably have their own vehicles. So they can use that to get to the center. But a lot of these people in the county can't. And so when they don't show up, a warrant goes out for the arrest and they just get arrested again and get thrown through the system again. Okay. And so that's a lot of tax dollars as well. Right. And there's no bus system out into the county. Right. So. It, this is one of those things where you got to kind of back up and say, what's the point of the criminal justice system? You know, are we are we just wanting to it's not just to punish. It's also to rehabilitate because we Absolutely. don't want I mean, if we just want to cl- label people criminals and say, OK, you get nothing. You, you go to jail. And if you can't make it to probation, whether you're going to go back to jail and we're just going to put you in jail for your entire life for stealing a, um, a TV from Walmart. Well, we may as well just kill them, right? I mean, mm-hmm. why should they even exist if we're just going to do that? Or why don't we just spend, you know, m- millions upon millions of dollars per individual to keep them in jail for the rest of their lives? You know, yeah. so if we're not going to do that, if we're not going to kill all criminals or put all criminals in jail for the rest of their lives, we got to think about what's in between. You know, somebody gets punished and then we want to <clears throat> rehabilitate them and get them back into society. They would not have been in jail in the first place if they were capable of doing that on their own. So they need some sort of guidance from the system to help get them back into society. So this is a way to do that. Mm -hmm. And it does take some money, but heck, it's a lot cheaper than putting somebody in jail for the rest of their lives when they go back into the jail because they can't, you know, afford to show up to probation. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say. You know, that's, that's the whole reason this program was even created was, was to not only save money, but to help rehabilitate criminals so when they do get out of prison they can go 
do something and not back in, end up back in prison. Exactly. Well, now, Jake, wasn't there an original plan to also use a van in Robertson County as well as in Montgomery County? Yeah. I so, guess the 19th Judicial District. Yeah, yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, so the, originally, the, the program, because the program does serve the 19th Judicial District, which does cover Montgomery County and Robertson County. So originally, they came to Montgomery County and they were like, hey, we want this van for our organization that's going to serve Montgomery County and Robertson County. Montgomery County's like, well, you know, we, we want to pump the brakes on that and, because we don't want to fund something that's, you know, in Robertson County, but we will fund it for just Montgomery County. So because if it's Montgomery County tax dollars and it needs to stay in Montgomery County was kind of the reasoning, which makes sense, right? So um, that's why it's just going to be for Montgomery County when they vote on this. So it, it won't be in Robertson County, but that was the original request. Well, now, is there a day reporting center in Robertson County or is the only one here? There, there's only one here, and it does serve Robertson County. Right, since it's so in the now, district. So. Does it depend upon Robertson County to come up with their version of transportation to the, the day reporting center? Most likely. We don't cover Robertson County, so <laughs> they may have approached Robertson County already, but I, I don't know. Um, but that, that may be another element to this and Robertson County might end up having their own van, but, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a good idea. And they're only talking about maybe 10 to 12 people right now a day. So it's not a lot. Mm-hmm. So that will go to vote, uh, on Monday, shortly after this podcast comes out. And then, uh, we'll have the update on that on next week's podcast. Uh, our next story, downtown parking passes for elected officials fail. City Parking Commission clarifies rules. This is something that we've talked about before on this podcast. Um, are, are you guys familiar with this issue? A little Not bit. Not really a, issue, a little bit. So basically, uh, Councilperson Karen Reynolds was like, hey, I got a ticket one day when I was on city business. You know, why, why don't we reinstate free parking passes for county officials and city officials? And they're like... Well, you know, that could be considered a taxable benefit. So it went into this whole thing. It was postponed, and now they've finally kind of settled it. And basically, the the settlement behind the whole thing was the Clarksville Parking Commission kind of clarified the rules because all county commissioners, city council people, when they're on, you know, local government business, really all they have to do is they have to send their license plate to the parking commission, who will then block their license plate in the system so they don't get a ticket. And I don't think a lot of them knew that. So that might have been kind of the reason behind this legislation, but Karen Reynolds basically pulled it at this meeting. And then um, we have maps in there where county commissioners are supposed to park in the article at ClarksvilleNow.com, um, as well as uh, county council people. There's there's maps where, you know, the parking commission basically gave us all this information, like, here's where they're supposed to park, here's what they're supposed to do. But you basically get free parking, but not really free parking, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and this would mean that they only get free parking during the meetings, right? Correct. During the meetings, and if they're... Um, on any kind of city or county business. Right. So if they're going to just park somewhere downtown during a city festival or because they're taking their friends out to dinner, yeah. That that doesn't work, right? And I, I, I kind of I kind of smirked when this was said because and I was like, mm, I don't know, because one of the uh, I can't remember who it was, and I probably wouldn't say anyway, but one of the um council people was like, Well what if you know we're meeting constituents of Black Horse for dinner one night? It's like, well, you know, your friends could be constituents, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, they're in your ward. So <laughs> that was I was like, I d I don't know about that. I don't even know if I would have said that, but um that was something interesting yeah, that came I, up. I mean that's a that's a big complaint that a lot of people have about downtown is the difficulty of finding a place to park. Well, yeah. if the city council members and county commissioners are getting to park wherever they want you know, any night of the week or any day of the, I guess nights don't really matter. Um, 
because uh, parking is free at night. But mm-hmm. if they're getting to park, you know, wherever they want, well, that's not really fair to the normal citizens. I mean, the rules should apply to everybody. Exactly. I can see if it's during a meeting. That makes sense. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. Um, so that was that matter has been officially closed. Um, Karen Reynolds basically withdrew it. She said the easiest way to do that was just to be to make a motion to pass it and then have it fail for lack of a second, which is exactly what happened. So uh, she said the parking commission has authorized elected officials to park in the city employment parking lot and county commissioners to park in the city garage when performing city business. I feel this is appropriate. She said we don't need to do this. I think it's been resolved. So that's what happened at the city council meeting last Thursday. And then uh, we'll go into another city council story. City council postpones home rule vote again, this time indefinitely with the sponsor resigning. And this was kind of huge. I did. And Chris, I told you this the night it happened. I did not see this coming. But Trisha Butler uh, resigned from Mm -hmm. the Clarksville City Council. Um, And she kind of alluded to it during the meeting. And I I guess I just didn't really notice because people say things. There's so much talking happening at these meetings. And um, I'm trying to figure out what exactly she said because I didn't write it down. But she was basically like, you know, for a reason I'll talk about in a minute, um, this is why I'm doing such and such. And I was like, oh, what does she mean by that? And then when they got to the comment section at the end of the meeting, um, Mayor Pitts gave her the mic and she's like, yeah, I'm resigning. So not in those words, but (laughs) (laughs) you you can find those words at ClarksvilleNow.com. This is frustrating, though, because... Trisha Butler and Ashley Evans were two newcomers um, to city politics when they ran in November 2020. They were both elected. Um, they're both young, both women. It was kind of exciting to see you know, some new energy coming into the council, and both of them resigned. Um, Ashley Evans because her husband was um, going to jump school in Georgia, and now Trisha Butler because um, she, I guess, has other things that are more important than um, representing her constituents, I suppose. Um, So they both resigned. And there are all these people who ran against them Mm -hmm. who, you know, they didn't get their chance to be in city government because, you know, they were defeated by um, Evans and Butler. And then Evans and Butler turned around and resigned. It's it's very frustrating. Yeah, and I think I think Trisha run won by a pretty slim margin originally too. What it was like fifty one percent or something like that in the twenty twenty election. Yeah, so it yeah, was it, somewhere around. It was there. a it was a very crowded field. Um, she was one of six candidates. Um, in that I think it's Ward twelve. Mm-hmm. Um, the others I noted them before I came in here were um John Lockwood, Joe Shakinib, Guy Stanford, Adam Walker, and David Webb. Um, so it'll be um. I'd be curious to see if any of those um, run to for appointment to fill that open seat. Yeah, and of course we'll have that in the coming weeks on the podcast as well. Um, Patricia Butler was the sponsor of this home rule thing, and um, home rule is a very interesting concept. It's basically the city council being able to change their own charter without permission from the state every two years via referendum, which... You know, some larger metropolitan areas. Isn't Nashville on a home rule charter? Mm-hmm. And yeah, a Chattanooga, yeah. Knoxville. Um, Nashville is a metro government, so its rules are slightly different. But I believe Memphis is also home rule. Yeah. So there was um, – Trisha Butler was the sponsor of this. She basically wanted, you know – I think she said something along the lines of, you know, the people to, to make decision, decisions about the uh, city's charter. Because currently we have a free act charter – um, and a home rule charter would essentially allow Clarksville to make those changes to its charter every two years, as we previously mentioned. Um, at this meeting, though, uh, Councilperson Deanna McLaughlin kind of started the conversation. She made a motion to postpone after the measure was read once more before the council, citing the need for further education. 
Uh, she told the council, I wasn't part of this voting body when this came up before, and I had one short week to bounce this off my constituents. I would like to make a motion to postpone indefinitely for now, she said. The reason being there could be a lot of potential consequences to this action, and even though this vote that we would make on this would not bind us to the home rule, it would allow for the public to decide. I think there needs to be a lot of education, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, we talked about this a little bit last week. Um, I think that people really need to know what they're voting for, and I think it's great that we have this podcast because we can talk about it, and um, you know, the council people, of course, need to know what they're voting for and what home rule is. And, you know, another argument to that was several of the other council members have been there six months ago when the second reading was postponed the first time. Mm-hmm. So they've had some time to to get educated on it. Yeah, and I think um, I think Trisha Butler did have a very good point about this. I mean, we've been talking about this for, what was it, is it a year, nine months? I mean, it's... About nine months, yeah. It's been sitting around for a while and was postponed the first time because city council members needed more time to educate themselves about it. Well, apparently they've had nine months to do their homework and they haven't done it. I mean, if they don't know what it is by now, um, that that's a problem. Um, I yeah, agree. Yeah. That, that can be frustrating when yeah. you're trying to bring about these changes mm-hmm. and you keep postponing it because, oh, well, let's, let's look into this a little bit more and let's talk to some experts. And then if it doesn't seem like that's happening, but you just keep pushing it mm-hmm. back a little bit longer. You can see where that would definitely be some frustration there. Yeah. And Butler uh, said that she wanted to have this finished by April 7th, which is her last day um, as a city council member for Clarksville. And and that's, I think, when she alluded to um, she was going to resign. Uh, but she had a really good statement uh, that I quoted in the article. She said, we've had months to get MTAS in here to have a conversation with us. We can't hold the newer members to that, but every one of us, if we wanted to make more or if we wanted more information from MTAS, we could have scheduled that. It's been six months or more, Butler said. I believe that postponing this, and she clarified that this wasn't to the person who motioned to postpone it, which was Deanna McLaughlin, but she said, I believe in general that postponing this is a cowardly move. It's a cowardly move because we don't just want to take the vote, and dang it, just take the vote already. It's been forever. Her words. And mm. dang it, just take the vote, mm. which I, I did chuckle it a little bit when I heard it. I was like, you know, she's really not wrong. So what does postponement indefinitely mean? Does this mean that it's just they're not going to bring it up again or does there need to be a process in order to bring it up again? Well, I think since the main proponent of it is decided she doesn't want to be on the council anymore, I doubt that anybody remaining feels passionately enough about it to continue to advocate for it. Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's killed. So if somebody did want to bring it up again, all they would have to do is undo the motion to postpone, uh, according to city attorney Lance Baker. And that was honest. This was like an over three hour city council meeting, or maybe around three hours. They feel a lot longer than they are sometimes. But, um, <laughs> and anybody who attends them will say that. The council members will say that. But um, yeah, so I, I think most of the meeting was them trying to figure out if they could bring it back up again. I mean, they were consulting Robert's Rules of Order. Everybody was on their phones on different websites trying to figure it out, you know, because you want to get it right. Hmm. Um, and, you know, it's it's hard to keep all of that memorized. So per par- parliamentary procedure, all they would have to do to bring it back up again is undo the motion to postpone, and then they could take it up. But postponed indefinitely, they couldn't take it up during that session. So it did kill it for that session. Hmm. Um, will it come back up again? Um, we don't know because, as you said, the sponsor resigned and mm-hmm. somebody else might not be as passionate about it. So um, we'll have to see what happens with that. But as for now, it's it's uh, it's not really in the works right now. So we won't see any further action as far as we know. Well, now, Jay, quick question. I think, uh, you know, Chris might be able to answer this as well. Uh, for her council seat now, don't won't they uh, people be allowed to uh, 
to apply for that, not really apply for it, but I mean, and they'll be, can go before the council and be considered to take over that seat. Is that right? Right. So um, anybody who lives in that ward, which Mm -hmm. is a Northeast Clarksville ward, I believe it's uh, straddles um, I-24 up in the corner of, uh, of Clarksville. Right. um, Can apply to, uh, to be on the city council. And um, I don't know, um, Jake, I assume you're looking up the, what people need to do. I guess they would need to contact Mm -hmm. the mayor. Yeah, so uh, the next Ward 12 council member will be determined by a vote of the city council in a special called session that will be held within 14 days after the council's May 4th meeting. So this will be in the next couple of months. Anyone who wishes to be considered must appear before the council on May 4th to make formal introductions. So uh, May 4th will be the day that you can go introduce yourself, explain, you know, why you want to be in Ward 12. And then I believe at the whatever special called meeting they have, then then they'll appoint somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe we will see some of those people that ran in the 20 election mm-hmm. uh, going up there. But uh, yeah, so good luck to Trisha Butler, though. Um, I talked with her a little bit after the meeting. Um, she said she's going to spend some more time with her family and and with her kids and and things like that, which is always a good thing. So she has definitely brought a lot of spirit to the city council meetings. Yeah, they're not going to be near as entertaining, actually. So. <laughs> um, but uh, good luck, Trisha Butler. Uh, next story, 164 soldiers from 101st Combat Aviation Brigade, uh, Brigade welcomed home to Fort Campbell. And Lee, you were there. Yes, I was. Running down children to get photos. <laughs> well, I saw the photo with the uh, the soldier and his dog. German Shepherd, right? Uh, I, I think. I don't think it was. I never got a good look at the dog as the dog was always rolling around on the floor. (laughs) But I saw that inside the hangar there over at uh, Sabre Army Airfield. And I said, I've got to get that picture. So I went running over there. And there's, of course, lots of kids there, lots of people. And had to dodge some folks to get there. But I got there in time to get a good photo of the soldier and his dog. How great that they could bring the dog there. I know. Because, yeah. That's true. But, I mean, you've always got lots of hugging and kissing and things going on. But that's the first time. And. I have been to dozens and dozens of dozens of welcome homes. Never seen. I don't think I've ever seen a dog before where the uh, was so happy to see the soldier and the soldier was happy to see the dog. Now, I think we can tell this story as long as we keep it somewhat um, abridged or, uh, or censored. <laughs> but Lee, can you tell us about the legendary uh, fur coat incident? At oh, uh, that was back during Desert Storm. Because um, I was working here, and uh, I was working with AUSA. I'm an AUSA member, and was over, um, and I I never saw this, but it was the urban legend, you know, of what happened. But uh, at that point, the uh, welcome homes were not quite as choreographed as they are now, but the soldiers would get off the plane and walk in the hangar out at Campbell Army Airfield, and allegedly there was a lady there welcoming her husband, or might have been a boyfriend, I don't know, home. But uh, she was wearing a, it was winter, you know, they came back, I think, and started coming back like in February. And uh, she had on a very long fur type coat, I understand. And she saw her soldier coming and opened the coat. And uh, there was no 
other, you know, it was. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to. Be, let's see. It she, was a was, ward, she was a ward, not a wardrobe malfunction in this case, yeah. but there was, she was nothing. Wearing a fur under, coat and nothing else. That's it. Yeah. That's the best way to put it. Yes. And you that, wonder if you can story. get through security these days like that. <laughs> well, security at that time wasn't as tight right. at Fort Campbell, you know. And if she was a family member, yeah. I mean, you know, she got to go greet her husband or boyfriend when he came. How home. would they so, know what she isn't that's or right. is wearing we underneath they the don't coat? Search people that closely, right. you know. Unless you, Did you knock a kid uh, over to get that picture too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't. <laughs> didn't answer. Seriously, I was at a welcome home one time out at Hangar Three, and there, I, you know, always looking when you're at these things, you're always looking for that photo, the one. You know, that special one you got to get. And I saw a lady standing in the middle hangar, and she was a lot of people actually hire photographers to come out and, you know, photograph this event. But she was holding a sign, and uh, so I said, oh, and somebody else was taking a picture of it. said, well, i got to get that. And I, I walked over to her, and she had folded it up. And I said, well, ma'am, can I uh, get a picture of that uh, that sign you've got for your for your for the person coming home? And she said, no. She said, this is very, very personal. And I never found out what was on it. (laughs) Somebody had a photo of it. But, uh, of course, it may have been something we couldn't put on Clarksville now anyway. But, (laughs) you know. But uh, that's uh, that's great. But most people are just so excited, you know, that to uh, to show their signs and uh, check on Clarksville. Now, there's a lot of great signs, you know, my, you know, uh, you know, a lot of things with, uh, you know, my daddy's coming home today. You know, don't get between me and my daddy, yeah. you know, and there's a lot of that goes on. Yeah. So I haven't had a chance to go to one of those yet. I need to one of these days. Um, but. Uh, this time around, we got video. Jim Key, our right. videographer, yes. got video of the of the ceremony, and that was really neat to see. To see the to, to get a video because I've seen tons of photos from it, but I'd never seen a video that captured that moment, and that was really cool. I mean, it's, there's so much excitement, and it is. I almost got teary eyed, you know, watching those shoulder the, those soldiers, you know, hugging yeah. their families. Everybody's and happy, and it's wonderful, you know, it's so great. And like I said, I've been to dozens of them, and uh, each one is different, a little bit unique, and it's just it's just really great. Everyone should go to one, Chris. Mm-hmm. I hope you get a chance to go to a welcome home ceremony yeah. at Fort Campbell. So. Yeah, Apparently. I've been to a handful, and they're just. Like you said, just so emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you're not connected to the soldiers coming home, it's beautiful to see the the reuniting. Mm-hmm. But I was there for a friend who was coming back, and so I made the the sign and everything, and it was exciting, and it was great to see him get off that plane. You know, mm-hmm. knowing that they've been overseas for so long, it's it's wonderful to see friends again. Mm-hmm. And some of those uh, deployments used to last for a year. As well, you know, they kind of shorten them down a little bit, yeah, for down to nine months. So, yeah, and it makes you think about too, you know, 70, 80 years ago, you know, during the World War II area when when soldiers coming home, imagine being at one of those because you know, back then they didn't have cell phones or, or ways to right. contact people, you know, it was it was handwritten letters if you could get them out. Um, so that w- one of those would have been really interesting to see as well, but um, I, I'm sure they're just as emotional as, as what happened this week. And it's always great to see a father who has not seen his child mm-hmm. before. Ever. And there was one yeah. idea, ever, and I, there was one, I think uh, the youngster was, uh, his name was Luke, I remember that. He was like three weeks old when his father deployed, you know, but I've been to quite a few times. I always try to try to find maybe a family where a soldier's coming home and never met his child yet, so that's always great. Amazing. Wow. Yeah, and uh, if you haven't had a chance to check out those video or uh, the video or the photos, definitely go do that at ClarksvilleNow.com. Um, you might get a little teary-eyed as you scroll through that article. <laughs> um, you definitely won't get teary-eyed through this next article. Um, you, you will definitely want cake, though. 
Uh, Nothing Bunt Cakes, now baking in Clarksville with multiple flavors, sizes, and styles. Now, for those who don't know, what is a Bunt Cake? It is a cake that is made in a pan. A Bunt pan, I think is what you call Mm -hmm. it, I would assume. Mm -hmm. And it's like a little round cake with like a hole in the middle. Yeah. For some reason, because apparently we don't like cake in the middle. But they're <laughs> they're sliced in like little thin slices. You, you can probably find slices of them at like the grocery store and stuff in like little packages. Um, but it's not you know it's not a normal cake. It's it's a bunt cake. They're they're a little bit heavier, I think, than a normal mm. cake. They're very good though. They're I've not tasty. tried one of these yet, <laughs> but I, I I I hear they're good. Yes, they're amazing. And uh, yeah, new franchises are flooding Clarksville, um, and they all have something different. To offer, and this one's at Wilma Rudolph Boulevard, and the, there's several of these around. And the, the the franchise actually began in Las Vegas. Um, it was started by two friends, Dina and Debbie, and they began baking in the Las Vegas home kitchens. And since then, they've grown to about 430 bakery locations in over 40 states and Canada. So they're even way up north. Uh, one of the founders actually came up with the frosting, and the other came up with the cakes. And that was according to uh, Teen Fam. I think that's how you pronounce his name. I think it's Teen Fam. Um, he's from Vietnam. And uh, speaking of Vietnam, that that was actually one of the things that attracted me to this story was was his story and how he even got to America before the cakes even came into the picture. He was actually a Vietnam refugee uh, back in the 60s. He was born in a U.S. military camp, and then a U.S. colonel actually sponsored to have him and his family move to America. Hmm. He called this um, he called him Uncle Charlie, but his name was actually Charlie, so it made sense. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Charlie Borden was the colonel's name. And um, having formed that special bond, he was kind of used to the uh, military presence. So when he was looking at Clarksville and looking to have another location, that's one of the things that attracted him to Clarksville. Um, But he's actually based out of Texas. So he was also wanting to look for something that kind of had, you know, similar values to Texans. And of course, Tennessee has that. So he has seven locations now with Clarksville. And he said he's getting ready to sign on for six more. So he's going to have 13 cake locations. That's that's, that's across the southeast area. Across the southeast area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he's got. I think like four in Texas. Um, I don't know where the new ones are going to be. And he has two in South Carolina. And then, of course, one now in Clarksville, Tennessee. Now, some people may already be familiar with Nothing Bunt Cakes. I believe they have a food truck out of Nashville that have been coming to a lot of Clarksville events. Um, and so this is a brick-and-mortar location for um, for similar. And they do have places. a brick-and-mortar location on, I think it's, uh, is it Charlotte Ave? It's out by the new Trader Joe's in Nashville. Because, yeah. yeah, I used to go by that all the time. And uh, if you've ever tried it, you know that every single bite is delicious. And they have a ton of different flavors, and they're all good. Mm. They're really all good. And that's why people just go nuts for these cakes. I love how Ooh. Tiffany just mentioned uh, Trader Joe's. I think we mentioned Trader Joe's. Didn't we discuss podcast. that it all, before? It, it all centers around Trader Joe's. It always goes back to Trader it's like Joe's. Like the only Nashville landmark for Tiffany. You know, it's right near Trader Joe's. <laughs> well, now Chris, it's Chris mentioned- twenty miles west of Trader Joe's. <laughs> Chris mentioned about what is a bunt cake, but are there different flavors? I think I've eaten one before. Um, you know, so many different flavors. Yeah. Okay. You can have carrot cake, bunt cake, mm-hmm. and you can have lemon okay. and chocolate. All right and, yeah. then. Red velvet, yeah. my favorite. My okay. mother-in-law makes a uh, a rum cake that it, she makes in a bunt pan, and um, it's about half rum. I mean, it, it, there's <laughs> oh, that sounds very fantastic. little rum is cooked off <laughs> when she makes. Because I think she actually adds rum to it after it's cooked. Is that uh, a holiday favorite? Oh yeah. 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 Well now. Uh, 
can I love cheesecake? Can I get a cheese bunt cake? Ooh. I don't know if that's possible. I don't know if they. Have I don't that. know. I'm just just guessing here. Lee, so. yeah, that's uh, that's a tall order. <laughs> <laughs> it may. I don't know if you can do. In serious, I don't think you can make a formed cheesecake because oh, okay. it's in a mm-hmm. pan and then you that's remove true. the pan. Yeah, that's so right. So a cheesecake, I think, has to be made almost like a pie. Right. So it I, I is. It, it all they all look like pies. So yeah. I wondered why yeah. do they but call they them cakes? But they could do a cheesecake flavor bunt cake, possibly. Mm. Maybe Ooh. like an angel food cake. So that's made with a lot of cream cheese. So maybe you could kind of maybe uh, get yeah. that consistency. Okay. Just curious. Challenge is on for the <laughs> bunt cake makers. Yeah. There, there is about nine standard flavors, I think. And then they do a featured flavor every month. And this week, uh, this month, they're featuring Oreo as the brand. So they have their cookies and cream Oreo cake. And they also have something really cool. They have a chocolate chip bun cake that's gluten-free for those that can't do wheat products. So there is something for everybody. Um, I have a friend. She's she's very allergic to gluten. So we always have to be careful when we go out to eat. So it's cool that if we go to a place like this, you know, she can still get some cake and we can get some cake. So everybody gets cake. Yay. You get a cake. And you Let get them a cake. eat cake. Let them eat yeah. cake. Yes. <laughs> Um, and they come in four different sizes um, with these made-up names. And I'm saying they're made-up names because you're going to laugh when I say them. The, the smallest one is Buntinis, which are mini bunt cakes. They're sold by the dozen. Fam uh, said it's actually two bites or one huge bite. That's what he told me. Hmm. So, <laughs> Depending uh, on how big your mouth is, I guess. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, the next size is an individual size called a buntlet. And then there was an 8-inch bunt cake that serves 10 to 12 people, as well as another 10-inch bunt cake that serves 18 to 20. Wow. I bet it could just serve me, though. <laughs> I do very much enjoy cake. Um, and they, they have a really cool grand opening going on March 10th and 11th. Um, those going will have the opportunity to sample all the sizes and flavors for free. And plus, the first 50 customers that Saturday morning will get free cakes for a year. You'll get a little coupon book with a coupon for each month. So uh, that'll be pretty neat. And, of course, Lee, you're going to be at the ribbon cutting. So it's yep. all about cake. It's all about cake. <laughs> I'll bring some back for everyone. Okay. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Lee. And uh, definitely go and look at the pictures that they sent us because they, they, they actually look really pretty. I mean, I'm sure they're tasty, but they, they're actually really pretty cakes. Yeah, and a nice, pretty round pan like that. You can do all kinds of cool stuff with the decorations. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll continue talking about uh, new franchises with Chicken Cone. This is one that I've been waiting this entire podcast to talk about because this is probably my favorite thing that I covered this week, to be, to be completely honest. Okay, what is a chicken cone? <laughs> no, no, no. It's... Chicken cone. Oh, chicken cone. Chicken cone. Yeah, there's a chicken there's cone. Apostrophe okay. In. Apostrophe in cone. Chicken okay. cone. They're so excited about telling you what they have that they don't have time to use the word and. Exactly. <laughs> there's no okay. time, there's for, no the time for that. And um, their slogan is so cluckin' good. That's their slogan. I can say that on air. I said so cluckin' so good, yes. good yes. for FCC, yeah. okay. just so you know. Yeah. Um, chicken cone in Clarksville serves up fried chicken in homemade waffle cones, which is... I mean, you really don't need anything else. <laughs> I love waffle cones. I don't know what else to say, to be honest. Um, <laughs> and don't they come with different sauces? Yeah, there's six oh, different sauces. So let's break this down. We're talking about a waffle cone, mm-hmm. like you would get like at Baskin-Robbins or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So waffle cone. Mm-hmm. But then you're going to put like fried chicken tenders. It's yeah, it's chopped it? up fried chicken tenders. Okay, in. and so I guess the basic version of this would have the chopped up chicken tenders, and then I guess maple syrup poured over top or something like that. Some sort of pancake syrup. There, there is a cinnamon maple option that you can get to your your chicken doused in. Okay, so you're getting the, the savory, you're getting mm-hmm. the sweet. That sounds mm-hmm. amazing. Okay, so that that to me is the basic. That's what I would expect mm-hmm. going in if I want chicken and waffles. In a cone is that with like pancake syrup. 
So what other variations are they talking about here? So it goes from sweet to hot. So you, you kind of go from that maple stuff into mm-hmm. barbecue, and then they have a yellow barbecue, which is a mustard-based barbecue. And then they have uh, they have they have a uh, regular buffalo one, and then they have what they call a peri-peri, which is the hottest option. Oh, that is – I won't say where I got the peri-peri <laughs> sauce, but I did <laughs> – It was but Trader Joe's. It was it? Trader Joe's. Oh. <laughs> that is super hot. That is super, super hot. Peri-peri? Peri-peri. P-E-R-I, P-E-R-I. Huh. Yeah. I wonder what that um, comes from. It was almost too hot for – and I like hot sauce, but that was a little much. Wow. Yeah, and he uh, he said this, too, when I was interviewing him, and my, my jaw kind of hit the floor. He said, yeah, you can get mac and cheese on anything you want. Anything you order, you can get mac and cheese on. So if you oh, want you mac can get, and cheese. Okay. that in the cone, too? Yeah, you can throw that in the cone, too. That's like, oh, my gosh, this is heartbreaking oh to happen, goodness. but it looks so delicious. And um, they do chicken and bowls. So if you, if you don't want the cone, you can just get chicken in the bowl. They have, like, Cajun corn, Cajun fries. It's kind of a Cajun-y, you know, thing. And uh, something else that's really interesting that you don't see a lot of in these fast food type places is beer. They serve alcohol and they actually have beer on tap, which is interesting. Is it, is it craft beer? That. Are they going to have some local craft beer, like working with some of the local breweries? Yeah. So that's what's interesting. So they do serve Pepsi products, by the way, and they have slushies on tap as well. Uh, but they have an IPA, which is Hippies and Cowboys from Tennessee oh, Brew Works. Nashville. Yeah. 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 So yeah. They're, they're, um, they do have some domestic beers, you know, your Bud Lights and stuff like that. I think they have Bud Light on tap, I, I think. Um, but then they they said they want to work with some more local breweries. So they do have some stuff from Black Horse and Black Abbey as well. Mm-hmm. So oh, that's great. I love that. I love yeah. that. That's so cool. When the Because, you know, anybody can just throw down some cans of Bud, you mm-hmm. know, but if you can get some local breweries to participate, yes. this makes it so much more fun. Yeah. And, so much, and it supports local breweries, which is really important. Right. You get that collaboration mm-hmm. going on, which is great. Yeah. And I think it's cool because Chicken Cone is a franchise. They have about 25 of them. It was started in New York, ironically. Um, but I think it's cool that this franchise allows allows the franchisees to partner with mm-hmm. local breweries. I think that's a really cool aspect, as, as you noted, Chris. Mm-hmm. So they have beer, they have chicken and waffles, and then if you want something to cool you off, they also have milkshakes. And I tried one of these milkshakes, and it was probably one of the best milkshakes I ever had. I'm just going to say it. It was it was surprisingly because you know I just expected to be a standard milkshake. So but. you got the milkshake, but did you have the chicken in a cone? Oh, yeah, yeah. I almost died the next day, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but it was totally worth it. Um, so are most of these – see, I'm just jumping immediately mm-hmm. to the sweet because I assume it's going to be like chicken and waffles, which yeah. has syrup on it. Are most of these – Is it does it lean sweet or does it – sounds like it kind of leans toward more of a barbecue sauce kind of profile. I think it depends what you want. And okay. I, I think that's kind of the key thing behind chicken and waffles because – I'm a chicken and waffle connoisseur. I've okay. had um, all kinds of chicken and waffles <laughs> all over the nation. My favorite one was actually in Pigeon Forge a few years ago, and it had hot sauce and honey mustard with it. Mm. And you could get syrup, but I, w- I wanted to try it with hot sauce and honey mustard, and it was really, really good. Mm. Um, I think the difference with this, though, is you get the crunch from the waffle cone. Yeah. And the waffle cones are really, really good. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what's in them, but they're like, you, you get like almost a... um. You get like a punch of waffle flavor. Mm-hmm. Like it punches through kind of. Um, they're very crunchy and they're actually rolled. You can see them rolling them as, mm-hmm. as you walk in. They, they put them on the little fryer and they close the fryer. They take it out of the fryer and they have this little metal cone thing that they use to roll it. And then they set it up there and then they go get the chicken, put the chicken in the cone. And then that's. It that's must that. smell amazing in there because anytime you have <laughs> waffle cones, that smells good. And then you've got the chicken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
it smells different, but a good different. Because as soon as you walk in, you get the waffle smell. That's the first yeah. thing you smell because it's right there. And then you're like, that's chicken. Okay, chicken and waffles. And then you're like, that's that's buffalo chicken. That's that's French fries. And then it just kind of gets, gets different as you walk down. <laughs> All the down different the... layers. Yeah. Like the so. everlasting gobstopper in Willy Wonka. The... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All these different layers. <laughs> uh, but you can check out uh, the video that Jim Key did uh, at uh, ClarksvilleNow.com. It's in the article. And you can read about how they got started and um, all the stuff that they offer. I also want to mention in the milkshakes, they have waffle pieces in the milkshakes. That's that's one of the things that's special. Oh, wow. called waffle, uh, waffle, I can't talk. Waffle crunch shakes is what they're called. I was wondering if there was chicken in the milkshake. <laughs> that just, I'm sure if you asked I'm trying them, to envision <laughs> that for a moment and the, the, the taste of that. So mm. He did use the words, you can get mac and cheese on anything you want. So I mean, you, you might be able to throw some mac and cheese in there if that's... okay. It's okay. like a uh, lactose intolerant person's like worst nightmare, mac and cheese inside <laughs> a freaking milkshake. So I think it's neat that Clarksville's in a place right now where, you know, I'm sure, Lee, you remember like when we got our first franchise. Oh, yes. Burger King or McDonald's or maybe not McDonald's. That McDonald's been like, <laughs> uh, down on Riverside oh, do you, do you Drive. That? Yes. It was, uh, you couldn't go in and eat. It was strictly you'd walk it up and, you know, you could drive through. Yeah. And yeah. I don't even know if they had a drive through then, but you could walk up and like at Sonic and yeah. get whatever you wanted. So, but, you know, in some of these smaller communities, they're getting excited when they get like, oh, we have finally have a jack in the box, you know, and Clark. Yeah. is now at this place in our growth where we're suddenly getting these really unusual franchise operations um like you know crumble cookie yeah. mm -hmm. um you know these two that you just mentioned mm -hmm. there's a lot of really interesting uh franchises out there that we're getting and getting to try um, i think it's because of our diversity it is know? and yeah. we've heard we've also hit a certain demographic uh touch point um, where we've hit a certain population and population density. So every time you hit a certain milestone in population, population density, a certain profile of um, franchise is interested or, or national retailers interested, which is why we don't yet have Trader Joe's because we haven't hit, <laughs> we have not hit the Trader Joe's what do we need to do? <laughs> milestone yet. Once we do, it's not like, oh, uh, maybe no. Once we hit that milestone, they'll open one here. I mean, that's yeah. the way that works. Well, I remember that story from our county mayor, and I feel bad. I cannot remember his name when Red Lobster opened up here mm -hmm. and they were saying that the city had to be so big before it would get a Red Lobster. Mm -hmm. And that was a long time ago. So mm -hmm. apparently the uh, population didn't need to be that high at the time. Yeah. But I remember them talking about certain businesses. They wouldn't come in unless there were so many people in the community. Mm -hmm. And so, so many people per square mile. Yeah. So population mm -hmm. density is, yeah. Is, yeah. is a key factor. And there's a lot of places they could put these. Like this could easily go in Nashville because Nashville doesn't have one of these there's only 25 chicken cone locations um, but they chose mm. clarksville and um the owners so people from nashville are going to start taking day trips to clarksville just to get probably some chicken yeah because it is kind of i don't want to say gimmicky but you know it's, it's something that you got to try you hear it, you're like i yeah. gotta try that oh yeah but um lewis and uh rosemary murphy are the owners and they actually live in the sango area they live like 10 minutes from chicken cone so mm. so they are locals um so it's great to see local people uh, bringing these franchises here as well mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure there's going to be more franchises come down the pipeline, which of course we'll cover on this podcast. But that pretty much does it for this week. I mean, there was a lot to cover this week mm -hmm. for sure. My head was spinning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what did we talk about? We talked about um, county commission, city council, murder, power outages, power outages, Fort chicken Campbell, and waffles, chicken and, and waffles. Yeah, yeah. I think we literally just covered it all in in one podcast. Yeah. So. yeah. 
Tiffany Lee, I want to appreciate you guys um, being here, filling in for Katie and Ryan again. Those uh, slackers. The slackers, Katie and Ryan. yeah. Yeah, where, where are you guys? Come on. You all on vacation or something? You like, are like welcome. I was glad to do it. Me as well. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Well, you guys enjoy your week, and um, we'll talk to you again next time. All right. Bye.